coming up on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, we chat with Carlton midfielder Georgia G. There's all the latest news from Ireland with Michael Curran, plus Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. And a friendly reminder, this program is available as a podcast by going to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. On this week's episode, we chat with the number 12 pick overall in the 2017 AFLW Draft, Georgia G, originally out of the Dandenong Stingray and many a premiership with the Beaconsfield Youth Girls. That's coming up in just a moment's time. Also as well, Michael Curran from AFL Island Women's talks about the Universities Cup that they've got this Saturday in Dublin. And of course, Coach Kiwi back with her regular segment, The Kiss of Death, three out of five last week. But first of all, here's the latest AFLW news. First, the good news and the round three NAB AFLW Rising Star nominees are Courtney Munn from North Melbourne, Tasmania for her four-goal performance in a debut match. And Melbourne's Eden Zanka, who's playing in her second season, uh, kicked one goal, had 11 disposals on the weekend, and she's been nominated as a NAB AFLW Rising Star. Let's get across the latest tribunal news. Taylor Harris had her rough conduct charge downgraded, so it was a reprimand and she'll be free to play against John along this weekend. Meanwhile, Tegan Cunningham uh, decided to challenge a two-match suspension at the tribunal. It was a striking charge and she successfully argued her case and is free to play this weekend against North Melbourne, Tasmania. Others that weren't so successful include Chloe Shear. She's accepted a one-match suspension for rough conduct against Geelong's Rochelle Cranston. And uh, Fremantle midfielder Hayley Miller has accepted a one-match suspension for rough conduct against Collingwood's Ash. Brazil. To the injury news, unfortunately it's season over for two players. Brianna Moyes tore her right ACL uh, in the first quarter of her debut AFL women's game uh, on Saturday, so she is out for 12 months. And as well, Emma Swanson needs left shoulder surgery and has been ruled out for the rest of the AFLW season. Sandfell W kicked off over the weekend. It was four games played on Friday. Uh, Woodville West Torrens made their debut, but unfortunately couldn't get the win. 2-4-16 going down to Glenelg 7-9-51. Uh, Norwood 2-10-22 uh, defeated the North Adelaide Roosters 1-5-11. South Adelaide 6-10-46. The reigning premiers were too good for Sturt 2-2-14. While West Adelaide 6 7.43 defeated Central District, who were making their debut 3.5.23. Round two action is this weekend. Uh, Friday at Cooper Stadium, 6.30pm local time, North Adelaide versus Sturt. Uh, at City Mazda Stadium, 7.30pm Friday night, West Adelaide versus Woodville West Torrens. At X Convenience Oval, uh, Friday, 7.30pm local time, Central District Bulldogs versus Glenelg. And at Cooper's Stadium at 8.15pm on Friday night, Norwood versus South Adelaide. Well, over the weekend, Carlton broke a 12-month drought in the AFL women's competition by beating the team they last beat, the GWS Giants in Blacktown. An impressive performance and their first win in Conference B, perhaps... 
this will lead them on to greater things. They've got a crunch game coming up against Geelong this Saturday. And should they win that, they're probably one, maybe two wins away from a semi-final berth. The run home is looking good. And a quick reminder to Carlton supporters, you can still get your AFLW membership. If you head along to the website, membership.carltonfc.com.au. If you're not that savvy on the computer, then just pick up the phone and call one three hundred Carlton for all the information you need on getting an AFLW membership with Carlton for season 2019. And to talk about that important win for the Blues on the weekend over the GWS Giants, we've got on the line Carlton midfielder, Georgia G. Georgia, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the line. And is it a sense of relief having the monkey off the back? It's been 12 months, but a win on the board for the Blue Baggers. Yeah, absolutely. There's a great feeling within the group at the moment after having a win um, on the weekend against GWS. And obviously the first two games we didn't put together for four quarters, but on Saturday I think we showed what we're capable of when we play our style of four quarters. So, yeah, it was awesome to get the win and I think everyone's pretty up and about at the moment. So that's what we can ask, all we can ask. We'll come back to Carlton's victory and what it means for the season going forward in a moment's time. But let's step back through time. And if I'm correct, you actually began your junior footy career with the Beaconsfield Youth Girls. Yeah, I sure did. So started there in 2014 with the girls. Um, obviously played a few years with the boys beforehand, but then transferred over into the girls and um, played there until I was 18 and obviously eligible to um, go up into the draft. So I just put my name up for the draft and then... Um, here I am at Carlton. So with Beaconsfield, it was a great run of flags. If I'm correct, I think it was three in a row. What do you put that success down to at Beaconsfield, that winning culture, to be be able to year on year turn out that performance? Yeah, that was pretty awesome to, to be a part of it, obviously. Um, since I was there, I, hadn't, I didn't lose a grand final at all. I think I played in every grand final that I was there and we won every one. So that was pretty awesome to be a part of it. But I think that just showed... Um, what the club is about and having a great culture down there with good coaching staff, a good group of girls and um, obviously the club being behind us um, as girls. I think that was pretty awesome. I think that showed what type of culture um, Beaconshield has down here. They've always had a culture of success in there and women's football has always been strong in the southeast of Melbourne. Of course, probably one of the most famous uh, female footballers to come out of there was Ali Blackburn. Why do you think that part of Melbourne has such a success when it comes to getting young girls into youth girls football? Yeah, look, I'm not too sure, but I think um, the effort that the the league puts into the girls and having um, enough teams for um, girls to participate in, I think maybe that's why, but as you said, Ali Blackburn and there's a few other girls um, that have come out of um, the southeast that are obviously at the top level now. Um, I think it's awesome to show that those girls have gone through this pathway and that you can go through that sort of junior level um, into that pathway into the AFRW. And I think um, any girls that are coming up through that pathway now, um, they obviously know that they can live out that dream of playing AFRW. So, yeah, it's awesome to see. Now, before we talk about you moving on to the Dandenong Stingrays and that academy system, uh, you're part of a very famous family in the Dandenong area, being uh, the Shinners. Uh, Brian Shinner, of course, was your grandfather, uh, played at Richmond and Hawthorne, but most famously played with the Redlegs and the VFA alongside his brothers, uh, Kevin and Bobby. What does it mean for you to be a fourth generation to be able to be that successful in the Dandenong football community? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I think um, you don't take that for granted, having 
his knowledge um, from when he played and having his brothers also um, give advice to me. I think it's pretty incredible to see what they've gone through and um, how different it was back then when they played, but also for them um, to sort of help me out and come watch my games and give me a little bit of an insight into how they played back in the day and um, help me out when I go out on the field. So it's awesome to have him um, behind me and he's a massive influence um, into my career. So couldn't thank him enough for what he's done. And what was some of his advice to you, particularly running out for the first game for Carlton in Season 2 and what was going to be a very big occasion in front of 20,000-plus fans at uh, Icon Park? Yeah, look, he said to me, just go out there and play footy and um, have fun, obviously, just play your game and um, <clears throat> do all the little things right. So he was massive for that first game and he has been since I've run out in any game that I've run out. So, um, yeah, he's been a massive influence and he's probably... Um, one of the biggest persons that I look up to in my um, career. So. so you went from Beaconsville to being part of the Danny Dong Stingrays Academy. Can you give us an insight to how the training was up compared to the amount of times that you trained during the week for Beaconsfield compared to the load that was required for you to go to that elite program with Dandy Nong? Yeah, look, it was a pretty big step up, I think. Um, obviously at Beaky, but, um the skills aren't obviously up there as much, but then you go into the Nidong Stingrays and that's pretty much the best girls within our region um, in one team. So it's a pretty big step up and the load was a bit bit higher. So um, it, I think it was good that I think that's what got me ready for, um, I guess, Vic Metro and Vic Country and then obviously going into AFL Academy and stepping up into AFLW. But um, I think going through that path, they really helped. And I think any girl that gets to go through that's pretty lucky to and fortunate to um, get that pathway and that, that um, knowledge, I guess. You came into the uh, Danny Nong Youth Girls Academy in 2016, and at that rate, you're probably thinking, I cannot lose. As you said, a number of premierships with Beaconsfield, and when you jumped to Danny Nong, you actually won the Academy Series in 2016 under the leadership of Georgia Walker. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Um, obviously, didn't go into it thinking about winning another premiership. I didn't think that was possible, but yeah, we got off the back of that win um, with Walks, obviously, catching enough, and then her obviously getting drafted to Collingwood and playing, I think, a season there. So she was awesome. And being under her, I played with her at uh, Metro in 2014 as well. So that was pretty good to play alongside her. And she's an awesome leader and person and player as well. So that was that was cool. How did you find men stepping up another gear to play in the national championships? Because when you're joining at that stage, uh, 2016-2017, the AFLW is there in ink. That The competition's going to start 2017, so the carrot is finally there. Everything you trained for, the goal is actually there. Yeah, that was that was awesome to see that the, the league had obviously, well, it was re- reality pretty much that we could be able to dream of playing AFLW, but that step up to um, state level, I think, was pretty big for most girls. I think they wanted to kind of get their name out there and do the best they could to kind of show and showcase their skills. Um, and I think for me, that's what I tried to do because obviously I wanted to get um, to the top level. So um, I put everything I could out there on the field. As the level of skill was um, pretty good at state level too. So I got to be a part of um, Vic Country and um, obviously we were a pretty strong team so it's good to be a part of that um, and that pathway is awesome so it's pretty strong still at the moment I think so it's good for girls that are coming through So let's talk about the 2017 draft taking players for the 2018 season how nervous were you in the room before your name was going to be eventually called out as pick 12 overall for Carlton? 
Yeah, I was pretty nervous. I think any girl that was sitting in that room had a lot of nerves and butterflies. But um, obviously when my name got read out, pick 12, there was a sense of relief. And I think um, being picked up by Carlton, I couldn't be happier. And obviously having my family surrounded surrounding me, that was um, even more comforting. And I think, um, yeah, just pretty much a sense of relief getting your, call, your name called out. So I was pretty stoked. Can you give us a bit of an insight into the weeks leading into that draft? Did you have clubs making contact at that stage to either A, show their interest, or B, to try and poke and prod you for questions to try and learn a little bit more about you before they made their eventual selection? Yeah, absolutely. We obviously had the um, draft combine, I think, a week or two before the um, draft took place. But um, we had a lot of interviews at the combine and um, also had clubs calling and wanting to meet up and do meetings and stuff beforehand but um, certainly had I had interest from Carlton obviously so I had a bit of an inkling that I might have been picked up by them because they said that they were really interested so um, certainly had interest from other clubs too but Carlton seemed more interested so I had a bit of an inkling they would um, take me at whatever pick um, and that they obviously did so that was pretty good to have um, a little bit of an inkling going into the draft but it was still very nerve-wracking because you don't know if your name is going to get called out. So, yeah. now as everyone can see on TV, your slide of build, you're five foot three tall. Not the smallest player in Carlton's list. That's five foot two, Shay Yordley. <laughs> How did you find the transition from youth girls football and everyone else being more slide of build to playing the more physical women's football? Yeah, it was it was a massive step up. Obviously, I'd come straight from youth girls, and I hadn't played any um, VFL or any footy against women. Um, so it was pretty intimidating and I think running out that first game round one um, last year was was very nerve-wracking for me but I think I pretty much just um, gave all I could and put everything I could out on the field and I didn't really let my size um, stop me from doing anything that I could so um, I had girls supporting me and I had my teammates around me so that's all that mattered and I just went out there and did what I could and I think this year I've put on... Um, I think six kilos, so I think that's a big step up and it's probably good. I'm a bit more confident this year and comfortable being out there with putting on a bit more size, so, yeah. Well, as you said, you put on more size. Can you give us an insight to, I guess, the the weights, for example, that you've been lifting to try and help bulk up to be a more physical presence? <laughs> yes, I've been drinking a lot of protein shakes and um, obviously doing weights after each training session. Um, I don't lift very heavy, but... Um, I mean, it's getting me a bit stronger, so that's all I can ask. Looking at the 2017 season compared to the 2018 season, there was a few different rules in there. And we noticed, obviously, you're a midfielder, but when you do your best work in the forward line, you seem to work better in the pocket. Was it more difficult in that 2017 season? Because the rules at that stage were um, along the boundary line, last disposal, out of bounds, the ball gets turned over to the opposition. This year it's changed. It's only between the arcs. So the ball can still be free to go out in the 50 and it'd be thrown in. Do you find you a bit more restricted in 2017 because of that rule? The, the kicking wasn't more towards the pocket, was more towards the central corridor? Yeah, absolutely. I felt a bit lost as soon as it went out of bounds and it was the opposition's free kick. Um, didn't get much opportunity inside 50 to obviously get shots on goal. So I think it's good to see that they've changed it only in between the arcs this year. Um, you get a bit more opportunity and a bit more advantage um, kicking inside 50 if it goes out of bounds. You get a stoppage. So I think it's helping a lot more this year. And I think you can see that the score um, is a lot higher in each game this year, which is good to see because um, I think that's what you want to put on show for all the fans is 
high-scoring games and um, good quality games. So, yeah. As you mentioned, you, you didn't play state league football before you came into the AFLW, but you had the opportunity to, in which you did throughout uh, 2018 with Carlton's VFLW side. How valuable was that experience of just getting a few games of senior women's football under your belt before coming into this season of AFLW? Yeah, it was very helpful. I think after having only playing six games um, AFLW last year, which was a massive step up from the youth girls, I think having um, a pre-season, a VFL pre-season under my belt um, as well as playing, I think, five games was very helpful. And obviously getting thrown into the middle um, helped a lot, um, getting thrown around by bigger women. And um, obviously the standard is a lot higher um, at VFL than it is youth girls I think it really helps and I think you can show that it shows that I'm a bit more confident out there this year and um, obviously can take the game on a little bit more which is good. Uh, throughout that VFLW season, you were actually under the coaching of uh, Shannon McFerrin. Um, obviously, there's high hopes that we'll have another female back as a head coach at one stage in, in the AFLW. We know it looks like Peter Sill obviously will be coaching St Kilda, but there's always hopes for more female coaches. Can you give us an idea of the coaching style of Shannon McFerrin and what did you enjoy under her? Yeah, she's awesome. I think it's good to have um, another female coaching, I think you can really relate to them and obviously she's pretty successful um, when she played back in her day. So um, it's awesome to have her along and I think it's good having her um, at Carlton as well as the midfield um, coach. I've played under her a little bit this season too. So I think it's good having her at VFL and then transferring into the AFLW. So um, we kind of have a good relationship and it's really it's really good to see a lot of female um, coaches getting out there and getting a, a gig. Um, within the AFLW because I think a lot of the girls can relate to those girls. What it mean for the morale of the group that Madison Press Parkers, who many of us uh, suggested could have gone as the number one pick because how the quirks of the draft system works, she said she only wanted to nominate for Vic Metro only, which made a pick three, put Carlton in the box seat. What did it mean that essentially that she was choosing that she wanted to come to Carlton? Yeah, that was pretty awesome. She's one of um, one of my closest mates. So to me, that was very exciting um, to know that we'd be able to pick her up and I'd be able to play alongside her. Um, she's obviously already a superstar of the game. So um, it was pretty good to see that she picked to come to Carlton over choosing Geelong. But I think also um, it was for family reasons. She wanted to be closer to home and um, didn't want to have to move out um, that far away. But yeah, obviously... We're pretty stoked to have her, and I think, as you can see, she's um, already succeeding at the highest level, which is which is positive. And on the flip side, what does it mean also to have experience coming into the side for this year, uh, both crossing over from Collingwood? First of all, uh, Millie Barden, now known as Millie Mullane, and uh, Jess Edwards, who, of course, was the Collingwood VFLW captain, formerly out of South Australia, and the Wandsworth Demons in the UK, now joining you at the Blues. Yeah, that's awesome to have them to come across. Obviously, having just captain um, the VFL Collingwood side <coughs> last season, um, it's awesome to have her leadership and knowledge come over. And um, she's a she's an awesome girl, and she's such a talented player. And I think it's really good to see her um, playing at the highest level. I think she really deserves it. And also having Mill come over from um, Collingwood AFL, I think that's a big asset that we that we wanted to bring into our team a bit more speed and. Um, a bit more run into the midfield. So um, both of those players are, are really succeeding and um, they're certainly helping our team out um, this year. 
Second year of AFLW for you met your second AFLW coach. The transition happened in the off-season. Damien Keeping left, going to the Casey Demons. And another one from Collingwood that comes across to Carlton. You brought in Daniel Harford. Can you give us a bit of an idea in the difference of coaching styles between Damien and Daniel? Yeah, look, Damien was, um, he was very close with us girls and had a really good relationship and rapport um, with us and every single girl loved having having him aboard and the way he coached um, obviously taught us a lot. But I think changing that up this year and having Daniel Harford, um, obviously him playing um, at the highest level back in his career, um, he brings a lot of knowledge and insight to us girls and he has a balance between... Um, being fun and serious at times so having him I've learned so much already and I know that I'm going to continue to learn heaps off him and um, yeah I'm really enjoying having him as our coach and I think all the girls are um, stoked to have him aboard. And just for a bit of additional insight when he came in and was announced as the new coach does he actually reach out to you as an individual saying look we've got to meet for coffee I've got to pick your brains and learn all about you before we obviously put game plans etc into play? Yeah, absolutely. He, I think he got out to every single girl and um, met up with them. I had a, a little chat with him and a little sit down and we had a little bit of a meeting um, about what the season looks like ahead and um, obviously what the program was going to look like. Obviously, it's changed a lot having um, completely new coaching staff um, come in, um, but he's made it incredible and I think every girl feels super comfortable underneath him and uh, I think he knows already a lot about every single girl in the team, which is um, all you can ask because it makes it so much easier for him to coach us. So pretty happy to have him aboard. Now, as much as all the publicity has been around Daniel Harford joining as coach, in my humble opinion, uh, the biggest off-field move at Carlton was to bring in Nicole Graves as the head of women's football, an absolute legend in the women's footy scene for two decades or so. Um, Can you give us an insight to Nicole's influence behind the scenes and how that's changed the culture at the club? Yeah, her influence has been incredible. Um, She's really, really brought us girls together and the coaching staff together too. I think the program that she's pretty much structured and helped put together um, has changed the culture and I think that's showing on and off the field um, after the win last week and even from where we came from round one to now, I think her influence and every single other person's influence that's putting in at the um, club has been amazing and yeah, we're so stoked to have her aboard and I think um, it makes the culture so much better. Everyone is their own best critic. If you were to look at your own game how would you assess yourself and what do you think you need to improve on to lift yourself to yet another higher standard? Um, yeah, look, obviously there's always room for improvement and I think just um, taking the game on a little bit more, um, being a bit more confident within my own ability, um, I think obviously hitting targets and whatnot up forward, um, there's a lot to improve on, on my end, but um, I'm certainly working towards those goals and hopefully... Um, can fix those up by the end of the season. This Saturday, you take on Geelong, and what an interesting game it is because of the conference system and how the top two make the semi-finals. A win against your fellow conference team could mean you've got one foot there in the semi-finals. Has that been talked about at this early stage of the week within the group of how important this clash is against Geelong and how close you could be to the finals? 
Yeah, obviously that's our main focus is um, this weekend's game after having a win last week. Um, and we know it's such a, a big game. I think any game is a big game. Um, but to see that we're on, t- on top of the table at the moment um, is really crazy. And I think we're pinching ourselves. But obviously our main focus is just to um, look towards this game and then the game after. So we won't look too we won't look too ahead um, to finals just yet until that comes. But um, yeah, it's pretty exciting to see that we could have a chance. But um, main focus is for this weekend. And what do you think is the biggest threat from Geelong? Is it a case of that they've been a close knit group for so long through the VFLW? Is it their height or is it their physicality? Particularly when you think of players like Hickey, Cranston, and O'Connor. Yeah, I think any of those factors um, could contribute um, to them being. A big threat, but I think if we're, I think we're just a tight knit group um, down at Carlton. So I think um, obviously they got high profile names down there um, too. But I think if we work as a team, um, we can definitely hopefully take the points. But we'll see how we go on the weekend. And just for a bit of insight off the field, as we know, um, all the footballers are part-time footballers at the moment. Uh, for yourself, Georgia, what are you doing outside football and post your football career? Mind you, we're talking a good 10 or more years from now. Where do you see yourself uh, working? Yeah, look, I'm not too sure at the moment. I um, just finished doing a diploma in sport and development um, at the end of last year. So at the moment just focusing on my football and then looking to get some um, work after that. I'm not too sure where I want to be um, later on in my life, but I know that footy is what I want to do at the moment and hopefully um, work somewhere within that industry. Um, but, yeah, not too sure. Well, Georgia, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best this Saturday as you take on the Cats for potentially a spot in the AFLW final series of 2019. Thank you very much for having me. Well, five Irish women are taking the AFL women's competition by storm. Of course, Cora Staughton, and what a great season she had last year. She's now back for season two. Sarah Rowe uh, virtually shopped herself around to clubs in Melbourne and eventually got picked up by Collingwood. You heard our interview with her a few weeks ago. And, of course, three through the Crosscoders program, you heard our interviews with them back in September last year. And to give us an update on how... Women's Aussie Rules is progressing in Ireland and what's planned ahead for this year, we've got on the line from the AFL Ireland Women's Competition, Michael Curran. Michael, how are you? Very good, Peter. Yeah, all good here in Ireland. Lovely to be back chatting to you again. Let's set the scene. Last time I personally saw you was uh, in September. You were in Melbourne. It was a cold night out at Sandringham, where a bunch of Irish women as part of the Crosscoders program were running around against a VFLW team trying to impress the selectors. And here we are some months later. Three were picked up in the the rookie signings or the draft and are now playing. Plus, obviously, we know of Cora Staughton back for season two and another Irish woman, Sarah Rowe at Collingwood. Yeah, it's amazing piece. Uh, uh, so much has happened since that night in Sandringham, as you say, again. I've said it a couple of times since in, in various conversations that that really was a game that changed the game in, in terms of um, international rookies and international girls coming over to AFLW. So, yeah, it's been a phenomenal success. The girls have been doing extremely well. Um, we're watching here every weekend in Ireland. There's great interest. Um, there's a lot of press and uh, media coverage now on a weekly basis. Um, the girls, in fairness, are giving us 
plenty of highlights, so that's making it a bit easier um, for the press to pick up on that. Like even as recently as this weekend, we had Yvonne Bonner with that best on ground performance and that cracker of a goal, which is definitely going to be up there for goal of the year. Uh, and of course, getting named on AFLW Team of the Week. So that's been a phenomenal weekend for her. Then we've had Ailish Consign with her two wins up at um, Adelaide Crows and performing consistently very well, really looking comfortable. Um, that's a big one for us, of course. Ailish coming straight out of West Air Waves here in AFL Ireland Women's and playing for the Irish Banshees. So um, the girls here are really supporting her and watching all the Crows games there. Um, Ash Mack, again, another Irish Banshee, um, made her debut, got her win um, up at Western Bulldogs, a really hard spot to break into, one of the one of the best in the competition. And again, we know she's going to go really well the more games she gets under her belt. So, um, yeah, it's really exciting. And obviously then, of course, you've got Cora, who's playing out of her skin. Um, some great performances there in the first couple of rounds. Was a bit quieter at the weekend, but still got a, got on the score sheet with a very important goal. And then you've got Sarah Rowe, who's trying um, really hard and impressing over at Collingwood, despite um, those the Magpies not picking up a win yet. But she's definitely working hard. And yeah, it's great. Five Irish girls playing every weekend. Huge interest here at home and great for promotion of the sport and awareness of the sport. I just want to have a look at the recruitment of the players just for a, for a moment. We, of course, remember Cora Staunton in, in year number one where she was um, sought out through Word on the Grapevine and, in fact, went to Hong Kong to meet her for the first time. We knew of Sarah Rowe because she came to Melbourne and essentially shopped herself around to the clubs before deciding on Collingwood. When we saw you on that night in Sandringham, that trial game, there you are in Melbourne. The next day, you were on a flight with Ailish Considine heading for Adelaide. Can you describe that 24-hour window of here she's just training with the crosscutters to then putting pen to paper? Yeah, it was crazy. Just as, even as I think back on it now, it was the whole experience was surreal um, for the girls, and it was great for myself to be personally there and involved in it. But yeah, after the after the challenge game against the BFLW, as I said, the following morning, really, the, the phone started hopping from various clubs. A few of the guys had been down and had been watching the girls across the whole week through the testing and the various um, game simulations and, and interviews and all that. So I think the, seeing the actual trial match was um, was the, the final piece of information that some of them wanted to see. And it really kicked on from there. And obviously, Eilish was the first... Uh, to go so she would have been on the phone with Adelaide Crows the following um, morning or even later that night and they agreed verbally uh, she accepted an offer there and literally it was scrambling then to book tickets Um, I went up to Adelaide with Ailish at an early morning flight maybe 5-6am we were up in Adelaide within a couple of hours Um, Phil from Adelaide Crows picked us up at the airport brought us down to Adelaide Football Club um Amazing setup, had a full tour of the facilities. Um, Ailish formally signed her official contract there, and it was like a roller coaster straight into official media. They, they had done videos, they had Channel 7 down doing an interview. Um, stuff was going live on websites within minutes. Really, really impressive um, setup and very professional. Um, Ailish got to meet some of her teammates, um, got it, as I said, got a kick around in some of the facilities, and back in the car, back to the airport, back to Melbourne that evening. So, yeah, it was an absolute whirlwind. Um, I know she was pinching herself at the time um, that she couldn't actually believe it was happening. But, um, yeah, that's how quickly it happened. And I suppose straight away then the news broke that Yvonne uh, Bonner was to go to Sydney and she was off on another flight up to Sydney to meet Al McConnell. And um, 
so that was a great buzz and a great way to finish off that um, week. And obviously then for Ash Mack, she waited for the draft and had a very nervous night in Tipperary, I can imagine, <laughs> stayed up, but was absolutely delighted to hear her name coming out and so early in the in the call as well for her spot at Western Bulldogs. So phenomenal stuff. We've seen how Yvonne Bonner, of course, has been nominated for for a goal the week, possibly goal the year. You throw in the AFLW Team of the Week, a BOG. Um, why do you think she excels, similar to Cora Staunton for that matter? Is it because that she has, for example, a bigger body if you compared it against Sarah Rowe? Or is it more that she's obviously been around playing Gaelic football for a lot longer and obviously has all the tricks of the trade to take with her? I think it's a combination of both, Pete, to be honest. Um, Yvonne is a slightly different body type to some of the other girls. She's a, a stronger, taller player. Um, so uh, she's probably going to develop into a, a key position forward very nicely, very quickly there. But of course, adding to that then, the fact that she's um, slightly more experienced, slightly older than the other girls, has been playing at the top level for maybe close to 10 years, more than some of the other players, and really has been playing at the top level, you know, um, with Johnny Gall here in Ireland winning All-Stars and winning titles with the team and that. So I she had a pretty sharp preseason as well. So I'm excited to see how she look after another few rounds of football because she's just going to get better and better and better. And as you say, Cora already is playing much better than she did in year one. So I really think it's the more games these girls get under their belts, they're just going to get more comfortable. It's just going to feel more natural. Even we're seeing with Ailish at the minute, her stats are consistent, very reliable. Her kicking game looks amazing at the minute. Um, and Ash Mack, hunger at the ball, good grab. You know, all these girls have all the basic skills. Sarah has the athleticism and the skills. She'll run all day. We're seeing all this coming through. So every round, they're just going to get better. And as they relax into the game and get more familiar with the rules and that, part of it becomes a bit more second nature I'm I'm excited to see how they go. So if we turn locally, um, we see that uh, obviously the UCC Crusaders were looking to uh, uh, defend the Fitzpatrick Cup against Oxford. Unfortunately it couldn't happen for them because of the uh, weather in Oxford uh, back on the 2nd of February. It was just snow everywhere so it made it impossible to play. So that means the university scene kicks off in Ireland uh, this Saturday in Dublin with the AFL Ireland Women's Universities Cup. Can you explain Find uh, how many universities are taking part in this and the amount of players uh, are getting involved in this program. Sure, Pete. Yeah, well, obviously it was very disappointing, as you say there, and the Fitzpatrick Cup is a very big um, unis competition. It's, it's effectively the European Championships. Um, I think close to 90 players flew over from Cork between men's and women's teams from two different universities. For the event, they were there at the ground, but it just there was no way it could go ahead. There was a blanket of four to six inches of snow across all the playing pitches. So the the girls would have been devastated from that. Obviously, the Crusaders were going for three in a row. Um, so the, on the plus side, they're still the defending Fitz Cup champions until, until it gets played again, um, whether that is later or next year or whatever. But yeah, um, that was supposed to lead into our first ever um, AFL Ireland Women's Universities Cup, which is our first universities competition. We're just trying to push on from the success we had last year at, at senior um, club level. And we've um, developed the first Universities Cup. It's a, it's a one-day blitz format for this year. Um, we've had great interest. Um, there's We've been working on it since last December. And um, through all the various universities and third-level institutions, I have players and teams from about 15 different unis that are interested. And on this Saturday, we are looking at 
anywhere between possibly four to seven or eight teams um, on the day. We have uh, four teams fully submitted their lists already. So that is UCC Crusaders. So obviously they will be favourites on the day on the basis that they're the only club that has pre-existed and have have, um, had some footy games and some trainings. But they're definitely going to have some competition. We've got University of Limerick or UL, which is one of the big unis here in the Midwest in Ireland, uh, sending a team. We've got Trinity College from Dublin, one of the most famous colleges in the world. They're sending a a team. We've got Athlone Institute of Technology, AIT, from the Midlands, are sending a team. They're going to be very good as well. Uh, So those four lists are confirmed. And then I'm waiting on final lists at the moment from uh, DCU, UCD, TU Dublin, University of Ulster, and... Individual players are coming as well from um, Mary I in Limerick, NUIG in Galway, CIT in Cork, Letterkenny IT in Donegal, Carlow IT, Queen's University in Belfast. So there's going to be girls there from third level institutions all over the country and full teams there from maybe four to six unis. But everybody's going to get on a team. Um, we'll make a couple of combined teams if we have to and get these girls playing footy. That's what it's all about. It's about developing uh, third level footy and university up. So um, it's very exciting to see who comes down on Saturday. And for that university level, which I guess we're talking women that are around about 18 to 21, 22 years old, what have the numbers been like in terms of recruiting um, over the last uh, couple of months, considering now that the AFLW, as you said, is starting to infiltrate the media in Ireland through the successes of the women that have taken part in the Crosscoders program, as well, of course, Cora Stoughton, her documentary, and, of course, the story of Sarah Rowe coming down to Melbourne. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's still early days in, in in terms of that none of the adult teams have actually gone back even training yet, Peter. So we have had a lot of interest and a lot of stuff coming through social media across all our platforms on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter of girls expressing an interest purely, obviously, on a result of seeing the girls playing in AFLW. Um, in terms of bodies on the Oval, that hasn't translated as of yet because we've been focused on the universities since December. So we've probably been two months recruiting there. But if you were to take that as a, a soundbite, as I say, we've gone from just having a team in UCC to now having active girls or players in 15 universities. So we'll, we'll work with maybe four to six teams this weekend and we'll try and build up to get most of those 15 unis in action for next year. So it's a, it'll be a work in progress. But yeah, already we're seeing the entry starting to come through at both the university level, which would be slightly younger, and at club level, with most of those clubs due to probably kick off in the next month or so as we lead into our Super 7s, the Champions League, all the regular competitions that are coming up. And can you explain how this all leads into the first ever uh, international university test matches due for Saturday the 20th of April? Yeah, so again, this is a very exciting development. Um, We've been working with the guys over at AFL England who've obviously had a very successful National Universities League for the first season as well. So um, we we have penciled in or locked in Saturday, April 20th for the first ever international universities game between Ireland and Great Britain unis. And I think it's probably one of the first international universities game of footy anywhere globally, as far as I'm aware. I stand corrected on that. So that that's very exciting. Um, so yes, uh, Irish unis team, which will be selected from players taking part in the Universities Cup on Saturday and any students obviously that have played in any of our previous competitions such as the Premiership or the Super 7s um, they will take on the National University League All-Stars representing 
Great Britain unis, and that, that would be both men's and women's internationals on the same day, Saturday the 20th of April. So, again, it's um, something to look forward to, something for the players to aspire to, to play footy at representative level. It will be another development event for us, and it also will potentially be a stepping stone or a development game for players to maybe take the step up to the full Irish Banshees international level as well later in the year. So very exciting, yeah. Now, as you mentioned, the senior women's season will be coming up soon as well and everything is building towards the Irish Banshees. A busy program this year because in the middle of the year, you've got the nine-a-side uh, Euro Cup and then having to back up uh, a few months later in October for the triannual uh, AFL European Championship. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a very busy year. Um, as I say, with the Euro Cup coming mid-year this time um, in Sweden, in North Halja, um, that's going to roll in very quickly, 29th of June. Um, and then we've got the full European 18 aside in uh, London on the um, 7th to 11th of October, or running over a week there. So, yeah, that's going to be very busy. Um, we're looking at the logistics of that. We've got a big um, development squad at the minute. And there'll be more players to be added to that after the recent premiership at the end of last year. And obviously, as I say, there's an opportunity for some of these students um, and the younger girls at the weekend to, to stake their claim on an Irish university spot and maybe even an Irish Banshee spot. So huge competition for places, lots of excitement. Obviously, the Banshees will be going back to Nartalja as defending champions. So we'll be hoping to send a strong squad over there and are looking forward to playing football in Sweden. And then... Longer term, we'll be looking forward to October, where we will be hoping to put up a good showing with what will likely be the biggest European Championships to date in terms of women's and men's teams. So again, it's very exciting that all these events are growing year on year or cycle on cycle. As you mentioned with the development squad, was, with the numbers growing as such, we've seen obviously the US send uh, their, what I call their first team, being the USA Freedom, along with the development team, the Liberty to Australia on a couple of tours. We've seen Canada do the same with the Northern Lights having their development side, the Midnight Suns, once come to Australia and then on another occasion do a tour of Great Britain. Will it be getting to a stage now with the Banshees having to look at, I guess, an official development or seconds team to uh, either tour Australia or other nations? Yeah, we certainly have the, the numbers, Pete. At the end of um, last year, I had a 55-player development squad, which is unheard of for us here in Ireland, you know, so that's, that's huge. And there's possibly another 10 to 15 girls that could go on that already after the premiership. So, yeah, look, it's definitely something we'll be looking at in terms of, getting um, active games for the development squad and these developing players. In terms of heading to Australia, I don't see that happening anytime soon. I'd love to, but just the logistics of even sending um, the first team to IC is a nightmare every three years. So um, that's part of the reason that the, the international universities game has kicked in. And we're hoping maybe as well to have some Australian touring groups come over or, or get some games more regionally here in um Europe for, for a development team. But yeah, that would definitely be part of the plan. Um, when you've got a squad of 55 plus girls, we need to get games for all of them and get them playing as much as possible to get their experience and their chances of making that main Irish Banshee squad up. Well, Michael, thanks again for joining us on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best with the smooth running of the AFL uh, Ireland Women's Universities Cup being played in Dublin this Saturday. Yes, Pete. Thanks a million. No problem. We'll talk to you again soon.
This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. I'm Peter Holden. It's now time to catch up with the legend of the Sydney women's football scene. She's played over 250 games, played in and coached multiple premierships. She is now the assistant coach at Darabin Falcons looking after the forward line. And, of course, she does occasional special comments for us during our VWFL coverage throughout the winter. It's great to have on the line Lisa Kiwi Roba. Coach Kiwi, how are you? I am very, very good, thank you. Probably going better than some of these teams that I managed to be kissing to death. <laughs> uh, absolutely. We're going to go through your tips. Three out of five last week to bring your total so far to nine out of 15. Let's go back by having a quick look at the results to explain how the heck we got here. In round three, North Melbourne 8-5-53, defeating the Western Bulldogs 3-4-22. You accurately pick North Melbourne to win that one in front of 2,000 or so fans there in Launceston. And Courtney Munn, what a debut for goals. Yeah, she was exciting. Um, I actually thought it was going to be a closer game than it was and probably the scoreline didn't reflect the contest itself. I think um, I think the dogs just had a few laps in defence every now and then and when they did, North just jumped on it and um, really exploited it and usually ended up with six points from it. Let's have a look at the game on Saturday where the GWS Giants in Blacktown 5-6-36 went down to the Blues 10-5-65. You tipped GWS. I was probably on the bandwagon, but in a result repeating from round two last year, it had been a 12-month wait. Carlton got the win again over GWS. Yes, sorry, Giants fans. I am kissing them to death. (laughs) What can I say? Um, Look, Carlton have actually played good football, you know, the previous rounds as well, just without scoring more goals than their opponent. And this week they played good football and scored more than their opponent. So um, um, well done to them. And, yeah, sad to see sort of the way the Giants are playing. It's it's not really producing um, points on the scoreboard where we need it. Um, But then we look at the Irish girls and they're whacking in some moments of magic. So there's little highlights to cheer on. If you look at the Giants team in that game, we thought they hung tough with Carlton, but just the lack of being able to score. And isn't it hurting that obviously Phoebe McWilliams isn't there anymore, who is their leading goal kicker over the last two years. And another uh, marking presence in Matty Boyd, of course, uh, came home to Geelong. That seems to really sting. And what's going to sting for the remainder of the year is uh, Emma Swanson is going to be out requiring shoulder surgery. Yeah, because we heard that she trained last Saturday and got through training fine. So she was looking like she was going to come back this week. So that's real sad news for her. Um, but yeah, we the Giants are missing an out and out, um, you know, contested marking type of player in the forward line, and there's not a huge amount of height up there. So I think it's they've adjusted their game for the players they've got. But um, I don't know. It just looks to me like some of them are not really standing up. You know, like Bernardi did play better in the weekend, but I thought she probably has been quiet the last two games. In the practice game, she was outstanding. So. You know, I think she shows us what she can do. We've just got to get more consistency. And our midfield probably haven't dominated as much as they can. 
And, um, you know, we've got some very high-quality players in the midfield that just aren't winning enough ball and bringing it forward. So, um, or quality ball forward, because I think our inside 50s were pretty similar to Carlton's, just um, weren't taking those marks. And when Kiwi says our, it's that's because she is a Sydney women's football legend, over 250 games and a mad GWS supporter. So let's put that on the record. Uh, Sorry, yes, our, yes. I cheer, yes, very, very much for Giant Sam. A side relief as well for Carlton supporters. It looked like that Taylor Harris was going to be rubbed out for one week. The AFL Tribunal has downgraded the charge of uh, a careless conduct uh, with that uh, high hit on Pepper Randall and... Uh, granted it as a reprimand, so Taylor Harris will be free to play this weekend. Yeah, it's an um, interesting call on that one. They seem to be so sure that she would sit out a week, but um, that's the way the cookie crumbles. And, you know, Taylor got quite involved in the weekend. She did quite well and um, set up a few things too. So uh, good for Carlton that they're um, getting this run forward and, you know, they've got some good forwards now starting to get the points on the board. Fremantle versus Collingwood was the Saturday night game. And the Dockers, what a surprise packet they've been so far. Three and zip to start the season. 7-9-51, easily accounting for the Pies. 2-6-18. First of all, on the Dockers side, they are absolutely flying under uh, Trent Cooper. Uh, the only sad thing was a debutante, Brianna Moyes, who uh, only played essentially a quarter. She's done her ACL. She's out for the season. Oh, I didn't hear that one. That that's uh, that's I think five for the year, and we're up to round three. Mm. Um, yeah, that is sad. But yeah, Refrio are um, just on fire. It's um, it's not just the way they're playing; it's the number of goals they're kicking too. I think now they've kicked over fifty points in all three matches. Mm. So um, you know they they're the ones that are stopping the AFL riding their most everyone perhaps this year. I don't know. <laughs> And uh, they've got a big game coming up, which we'll mention very shortly. For the Collingwood Magpies, alarm bells have to be ringing. This is the third year in a row. They have started the season zip and three. Things are looking pretty bad for them. They're struggling to score. I think three goals is the most they've scored in the game, and that's when they lost by one point to Geelong. We know essentially they've got no forward line because they got completely raided by North Melbourne and Bernardi, who you mentioned earlier with GWS, uh, obviously moved up uh, at least for the summer to New South Wales. Uh, but they'd also lost the year before even the GWS. They lost uh, Millie Mullane, formerly Millie Barton, to Carlton. They lost the year before Nicholas Stevens um, to Carlton. Um, it, we've talked about it, uh, you know, at, in a, as many times as we could that they've had this list change over. The question is, I guess, from either the supporters or either the hierarchy up top, um, how much patience will there be before... I don't want to do a Kate Sheen and talk about the axe, but, you know, jungle, drum, jungle drums will beat. You know, that's the nature of football. If you don't have wins on the board, people get cranky. <laughs> well, yeah, the season's that short, though. I think it takes about six or seven weeks for them to decide if the coach needs to be sacked. So um, the coaches of the AFW probably um, get, to, get to fly under the radar for that kind of um, axing. But, yeah, I don't know. I think... Um, I'm sure everyone at Collingwood is sort of sitting back and starting to reanalyze everything and um, and all their structures they're playing and procedures. And, you know, it could be down to their personnel or maybe just that they're not making the best use of the personnel that they've got available. It's um, yeah, definitely something they're probably going to have to change a lot up this week. And um, 
they're are they in the B conference? I think so. Yeah, yes, they are. So technically, they are still actually in the finals hunt, and it'd be amazing. But we have seen over season one and season two, Collingwood make a run from roughly this point. Yeah, and to, and late in that game, um, Steph Kiochi and a couple they started to really step up as well. So you know maybe the changes start to happen, and you know if they can start. How the next game, how they finished the last game, then perhaps they could um, turn things around. But yeah, they're like the Giants. They're only one win away from finals. So go the conferences. As we look to the Sunday games, um, in the last couple of years, a score of six goals one would normally win a game of women's footy in AFLW. Of course, this is how much the, the league's now developed. 6-1 for the Cats, certainly not good enough. Losing by 29 points to the Adelaide Crows, 10-6-66. Erin Phillips on fire. Ebony Marinoff on fire. Chloe Shear making a name for herself. Uh, the Crows look like they have refound the form of 2017. Yeah, and it is exciting to... Um to see like I am a Giants fan but I love watching some of the talent in the other teams and Erin Phillips is just a phenomenal talent and you know there's some good players in that team and they're all stepping up and you know just playing so well and you know was it 33 possessions Mm. outstanding um for and she's still pretty young so um, for someone who usually only tackles a player and not gets the ball, <laughs> it's, um, you know, pretty awesome to get a, over 30. So, yeah, it's it's good to see. Good to see. And in that game, of course, for the Cats was Melissa Hickey's first game back as well. But you would suspect it will take a little bit of time before she hits that uh, peak form that she was in at Melbourne before the ACL. Yeah, and um, and Rocky was back too, which I would have, um, I thought she had a quiet game. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if she may need to um, – well, she'll probably step up this week, I guess. They um, Maybe she was just have, having a quiet one, just afraid to tackle anyone hard. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I'm sure Mel, now she's had a game under a bout and got through it, she'll probably come out a little bit different this weekend as well. That's the most frustrating thing, of course, about the short AFLW season. By the time they start to hit the form, it's already the halfway marker on the run home. As we have a look at what happened at – Hickey Park in Brisbane, home of the Wilston Grange Gorillas. Uh, the Brisbane Lions 3-3-21 going down to Melbourne 9-6-60. If we have a look at Melbourne's form, first of all, they lost that game in a seesaw to Fremantle. And at that stage when they lost to Fremantle in round one, everyone thought, oh, geez, Melbourne, maybe Melbourne's on the slide a bit and uh, they've let this one go to Fremantle. But now we put it in the context of two rounds later, Melbourne also beating Melbourne beating Collingwood for their first win and now a comfortable away win by 39 points against the Lions. And what Fremantle have done, you've now got to look at Melbourne and go, hang on, despite them losing four players to Geelong and Daisy Pierce, of course, out, who's just had her twins. Congratulations, Daisy, on the birth of Sylvie and Roy. Um, you've got to look at it now going, well, Melbourne, are they at the same level? Have they slightly improved on previous years? Yeah, um, that I, I have to say I really thought Lions would have had the measure of the Ds at home. But, um, yeah, the Ds are just, you know, kicking in a lot of goals too. So they're playing some good football. 
And even without their big names that are missing, it look, it does look like the rest have stepped up a little bit and, and maybe gained a little bit of space now and can um, play out of their shells a little bit more without the, the big name stars taking all the attention. The Brisbane Lions, can I say that I'm perhaps frustrated in them, that I, I tipped them from the flag, I'll put my uh, colours to the post. As much as the players have now kind of hinting at the language, saying this is a rebuild, this is a rebuild at the Lions, Yes, they'd lost a handful of players back to Victoria, but when you saw the talent they had coming through in the under-18s, you thought, okay, they're taking a hit, but maybe it's not too bad, and maybe they're still competitive. And those losses, albeit to Freo on the road and now to a red-hot Melbourne, you've got to look at the Lions and go, oh, geez, are they on the slide? You know, has the premiership window slammed on them? Yeah, you'd start to wonder that. Um, I yeah, I wouldn't say they're having a rebuild. They did lose a few players, but yeah, you're right. They've had some real quality players coming through, and their quaffle league is pretty strong as well. So um, you know, they usually sign players from the local comp. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if they just had perhaps a flat game um, against the D's, but. Um, you know, the other week or round one, they played pretty pretty solid against the Giants. So you would have thought they would be up a little bit better on the ladder than they are. So maybe, yeah, maybe there's um, there maybe that kind of um, um, what is it? Brightness from the stars in their eyes when they've been into two grand finals is just sort of taking its toll, and um, they're not working as hard as they did the previous years. Mm. Let's, let's have a look ahead to round four and the matches that are being played. Friday night, no AFL women's because of this thing called AFLX. Not sure if you heard of it. I haven't seen much of it anywhere. Kidding. Um, yeah, is it um, is that something the Americans have been playing for about ten years? Oh yes, they on call, a rectangle pitch. Yes, they call it they, they call it Metro Footy, but without the gimmicks created by executives <laughs> at Docklands. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it works. And funny enough, I think their game. A, I think more people play it than AFL-X, and B, I think more people watch it than AFL-X, even if there's just two men and a dog at a park. Let's have a look yes. at the fixture for round four. Now, the first two games are being shown on seven, or seven, mate, depending on where you're watching. The remaining three games on Fox. Here is a very interesting one, Kiwi. I'm eager for your kiss of death. It is 4.45 p.m. local time, Cadinia Park in Geelong. This is a Conference B battle between the top two, so one could get the edge here. The Cats host the Blues. Yeah, I'm a bit torn with this one. Um, uh, You know, Cats at home, I kind of thought round one they might have got the win then. Um, but um, I'm I'm going to tip Carlton. I I don't want Carlton to lose. I think they'll win. I just think they're playing good football the last few weeks, and the goals that they banged in. Having said that, dear old Meg Mac from Darabin is um playing outstanding in the back line for the Cats. So it'll be a battle, and um, yeah, this will be the close game of the round, I reckon. But um, I'm going to Blues. 7.10pm at VU Witten Oval in Footscray. The Western Bulldogs host the Brisbane Lions. Yeah, I think Lions may come out and play a little bit better, but I'm definitely going to go Bulldogs at home. Um, you know, I think they were, you know, the result last week probably didn't reflect how well Bulldogs have been playing. And, um, you know, they're defending champs. 
So, um, yeah, don't write them off. It is a Conference A versus Conference B match as well as the grand final replay. And in that, we should mention that in matchups between A and B teams, Conference A have a nine-zip record over Conference B. Slightly one-sided, <laughs> you'd suggest. At TIO Stadium in Darwin, 8.05 p.m. local time, 9.35 p.m. Eastern time, the Adelaide Crows versus the Fremantle Dockers. Yeah, this will be interesting. They're both flying miles for this one. Um, so I'm tipping a goal fest anyway. Um, and I think the way that the Crows are just working together, I know Frio are kicking a bunch of goals. I think, you know, Frio may bang in nine goals, but I think Crows are going to bang in ten. So you're going for Frio's first loss and the Crows to win up in the hotbed of Darwin. It's going to be very, very muggy up there. Let's have a look at the two Sunday games, both on uh, Fox. Uh, Collingwood versus the GWS Giants out in the Gippsland town of Morwell. Yes, I'd, um, I'd love to give Collingwood the kiss of death um, to keep Giants' hopes alive, <laughs> but... Uh, I think Giants, surely, surely they've got to turn it around in week four. And um, they've got the players. They've definitely got the players in that list to turn things around and probably in a better way than um, Collingwood. Um, you know, more experience and some real key players that can step up. So, yeah, I think the Giants should get this one. We do remember that these two sides met last year at Olympic Park Oval in a very similar situation. The Giants won that game and the uh, bounty that was put on the table by former Collingwood player Reece Shaw was that the Giants won. He was taking the whole team out to dinner. We didn't see what the exact number was, but the receipt was very, very, very long, to say the least. Yeah, I think... Um, I think... I did see the receipt, um, but yes, it was. It was. There were the girls ate well, that's for sure. And I think if he does it again this year, they should definitely get him to um, take him down to Woolloomooloo Wharf or somewhere really fancy for dinner. He can afford it. Considering he was part of the coaching staff there, he could have been cruel and could have said the next day, right, 2K time trial and skinfold test. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That would have been very popular. I think he took him to a local fish and chip shop anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Let's have a look at the remaining Sunday game. What a cracker it is. Casey Fields, Cranbourne, 4.05 p.m. local time. It is Melbourne versus the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> I think North will just feel like they're at home anyway. They seem to be travelling to all these ovals, so they don't have a home base. So it's just a big history of North Melbourne grass. Football Club just there quietly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sorry. I'll get phone calls uh, for that. <laughs> sorry. I'm a foreigner, remember? Um, having said that, I had a nice run bit around Arden, Arden uh, Park this morning, and it was—it's nice. It's looking great. They should play games there. But um, yeah, anyway, I think um, it's patch of grass, and the kangaroos are playing so good that it won't matter what patch of grass they're on. They're going to go out and do a job, and um, they're just—they're just so solid at the moment. And it's going to be hard to find areas that you can exploit against them to get the goals and get more goals than they're scoring. So that's the challenge for the D's. 
Well, Coach Kiwi, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Look out for Coach Kiwi on the Giants Women Say podcast. We look forward to catching up with you next week when we review your tips and to see if you did better than three out of five. Yes, I'll see if I can get my balance so I can get more wins than Conference A. And that concludes another episode of Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. Don't forget this program is available as a podcast from Thursday mornings by going to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Don't forget you can find us on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash WARFRadio Radio, or go to Facebook and find us at facebook.com forward slash WARF radio. I'm Peter Holden. Until next week, it's bye for now.